Remember, when these improbable situations arise, that God will look at your life. You see someone faithful to him. And if it's a really, truly earnest situation, he'll see your earnest prayer. And God will do whatever it takes to get you through it. Improbable situations often come in our lives. And the question is, what do we do when these improbable situations come? Or when we need an improbable situation? This uh, past week at our church, we were able to, of course, conduct our Mystery Island Vacation Bible School, our Bible adventure. And we had a lot of fun doing it. There was a lot of people involved in order to get everything in order the way it needed to go. And uh, on Wednesday, day three, we were sitting here. It was just uh, us and the, just the interns and us. We were just sitting in here watching the, the, uh, the Vacation Bible School live. We were sitting here and... Things are getting ready. We, have, we were just a few minutes into day three when uh, my wife turned over to me and whispered, did you add the craft segment to today? Now, at first I was, I was, I was hurt. Why would I forget an entire segment of Vacation Bible School? We... Um, there's different segments, you know, there's some, there's singing, and then there's the crafts, of course, there's, there's the game time, there's different segments, and I had not forgotten to add anything to the segments up until Wednesday, so there was no reason for her to whisper to me, did you forget to add this? So at first I was like, of course I did, just enjoy, enjoy day three. But you know, once the seed of doubt has been planted, you can't help but now start thinking, did I? I hadn't forgotten anything up to that point, so why should I have forgotten it that day? And what would cause her to say that specific segment? Not just any other segment, but that specific one. Why crafts? Why? These questions kept going through my mind. I had one of the interns that day sort of proof the video, go through it and make sure everything was fine. They had found a few mistakes and I made the adjustments. So I just you know, casually walked to the back for no reason at all. Just casually went back to that intern and I said, hey, um, do you remember as you were watching day three, was the craft segment put in the video? It was, right? And the intern thought for a second, you know, <laughs> I don't think it was. I don't remember being in there. I thought, I actually don't remember putting it in either. So I ran to my office and I began to just scrub through it real quick. And I realized this is not the end of the world. If one segment wasn't placed in there, it really isn't the end of the world. I could easily just send the video off afterwards. But I just began to go through the video real quick. And sure enough, it wasn't in there. And I went back to, to my wife and I said, you know, what caused you to say that? To just randomly, out of nowhere, ask me that question. And her answer, I have no idea. It just came into my head. Just thought I'd ask the question. So with a little magic from Pastor Deven, we were able to actually slip it in at the very ends, and I don't think anybody really noticed. Um, but I would have totally forgotten. I would have, I, I kind of call that, it's an improbable situation. There's no reason for her. Now, Miss Lydia did have a big part in planning and preparing and even doing some of the edits for VBS. But up until that point, now the next day, on Thursday, it was the joke. Everybody, Pastor Jim. Did you put in the, the craft segments? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay? Made sure. 
Now, I understand why people would ask me that question on Thursday, but up until Wednesday, the question was sort of an improbable one. We concluded that perhaps it was the Lord. Just gave her that thought, and we had our craft on Wednesday, and everybody was happy. And Brother Tully, did you do your craft on Wednesday? He did not, but it's okay. You know, all throughout the Bible, all throughout our lives, improbable situations arise. And I realize the one I just told you was a really small and probably insignificant, really. It was a small one, but it was, it was recent and it was relevant. But we've all gone through stories or, or we've had pro- things in our life that were a bit improbable or you could say impossible, really. Some of us have points in our life where we, we reach a, a, a situation in our life that we need something impossible, improbable done for it to happen, for it to take place. We need something, and we don't really know how it's going to happen. Perhaps some of us can look back and think of a story or two in our life where we look back and go, wow, how did that even happen? Thank you, Lord. How did we get through that? Or how did, wow, I'm so glad you thought of that, or you thought to do this, or you thought to do that. How sometimes the stars align and something miraculously takes place. What I'm going to do for you this morning is we're going to go through three improbable stories in the Bible. We're going to go through them first, and then we're going to go back and look at an overlying application from the three stories. And these are three stories that you're familiar with. Uh, Maybe there's some you're not as familiar with. I'm not really sure. But uh, these are three stories that happen pretty close in, in history to one another. Now, there are hundreds of impossible, improbable stories in the Bible that I could choose from. But these specific three are close to each other in history, and I thought we'd look at them this morning. So let's look at our first improbable story, and it's found right here in Ezra chapter 1, and it starts right in verse 1. Brother Howard just read it for us. We all read it together. But I'll read it for you now. Verse 1, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord... By the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now I realize... You can just read those first two verses and not really think anything happens. Oh, yeah, that's cool. King, God told the king to uh, build, a, build the temple. No big deal. I need you to understand how impossible this is. We're talking about the children of Israel have been in bondage for 70 years. They have not been able to, to live in their homelands. There have been a few here and there that were able to go back. But King Cyrus is a pagan king. If you know anything about the Persian Empire, you know anything about even the Babylonian times, they, were, they, they worshipped many different gods. They did not worship the one true God. He acknowledges God in this verse, but this is a pagan god, this is a pagan king, excuse me, who really up to this point could care less about God. He's the one that went in and helped really wipe out Israel, took them captive, brought them back to where he are. Israel, Israel, they're captives. There is no reason why this king should wake up one morning and think to himself, 
You know those captives that have been with us for what, years and years now? I want to I want to I want to do something nice for my prisoners. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to give a decree that they can all go back to their homeland. And you know what? Just to be nice, I'm going to give them all the money that they need to rebuild their temple. And not just that. <laughs> I'm just in a good mood this morning. I'm also going to give them the livestock, the cattle. I'm going to give them the possessions, the wealth. I'm going to give all of my prisoners everything that they need to go back home and be happy. I mean, that makes sense, right? That happens all the time, every day. This is not something that would normally take place. Normally when a king would oversee, would have control of prisoners, prisoners were treated like prisoners. But these weren't just any prisoners. These were God's chosen people. And God, as it says in verse 1, had predicted that this day would come through the mouth of Jeremiah. But it still is improbable. God comes to Cyrus in verse number 2. It says, The Lord... God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God. That also is improbable. Which is in Jerusalem. Whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with the silver and with gold and with the goods and with the beasts, besides the freewill offering for the house of the God, of God that is in Jerusalem. You see, back, back, way back when, when they ransacked Jerusalem in the first place, they went through the temple, they burned the temple, and they also stole all the goods and the gold and the silver from the house of God. Cyrus also said, all that stuff we stole from the temple... All the wealth and riches we receive from that, let's just give it back to them. Let's just give it back to them. Let them bring it back and let them rebuild their temple. Now, this wasn't in honor of King Cyrus. This wasn't to help the reign of King Cyrus. This wasn't to make King Cyrus look good. He did this for God, the one true God. This is a king that doesn't follow, doesn't believe, that, that did not establish his kingdom based on the belief and the faith in one true Jehovah God. But God came to him and said, Hey, Cyrus, you're going to do exactly as I say. It's not going to make any sense. Israel probably was dumbfounded. You read the rest of Ezra. Actually, I think all of chapter 2 is just a list of all the families that said, Yeah, let's go. And they rose and they followed Ezra down to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple. Well, they had their struggles and their, their trials along the way. But this was an improbable situation. Now turn with me over to the book of Nehemiah, just the next book over. Ezra and Nehemiah. We come to our second improbable story here. i like for you to understand. In Nehemiah, we're going to look at chapter 2. Read a few verses from chapter 2. As we're, getting, as we're getting ready to read chapter 2. Years after the temple is built. So God tells Ezra to send his people. And they go. They rebuild the temple. It takes years and years because of the adversaries. and It was a, big, it was a mess. But they got it done. So years after this, the temple is built. A group of Hebrews are now returning from Jerusalem. 
back to Persia, back to where they're captives. They're returning back. And this guy named Nehemiah sees them. Nehemiah is, he's a Jew. He's a follower of Christ. He, he's a follower of Jehovah God. But he's all, he has a very prominent position in the Persian Empire. He's actually the cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer, if you under, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah. He basically tests the drinks. He tests the food to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. And he's the one that tests the food. And if Nehemiah kills over dead, well, the king won't eat that food that day. I guess that was one way they tried to assassinate their people. And uh, Nehemiah was that person. And it was, a, it was a respected position because if anybody wanted to try to get through to the king, they could simply, and you could read about instances of, in history where they would sort, where the enemy would kind of pay off the cupbearer and say, hey, just pretend you ate this food and uh, we'll, give, we'll give you a portion of the kingdom. You know, we'll let you help take over. We need, to, we need to take this king down. And it's happened before. So the king needed to trust this cupbearer, needed to trust really his life. Nehemiah had a very interesting situation that he was in. So one day, Nehemiah sees a group of people coming back from Jerusalem, and man, he's excited, and he goes up to them in chapter 1, and he's like, how is it, guys? How's our homeland? How are things? And he was excited. He was hoping that, to get a positive feedback in return. But boy, you read chapter 1. It was not good. The people said, oh, man, the, the, this captivity, the, the, the temple is built, but the wall is de- of Jerusalem is destroyed. The people are living in poverty. The, uh, the enemies of God are having their way. It's a mess, Nehemiah. Don't even, don't even, don't even go. Just forget about it. And these words crushed Nehemiah. So hard, he began to fervently pray and ask God to do something. He didn't realize he would be the answer to his own prayer. So now we come to verse 2. He has this burden on his heart. He doesn't really know what to do. So in chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it to the king. So he had taken a sip or something, he approved it. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Nehemiah had a sad countenance. And it stood out because Nehemiah apparently wasn't that kind of a guy. He wasn't, that, it wasn't somebody to be sad. He seemed to always be a sort of a, a cheerful kind of a person. And perhaps it was a requirement to be in the king's presence. But here, Nehemiah, he's sad. And then the king in verse 2 looks at Nehemiah. He was a trusted, loyal servant, but he still was a servant. In verse 2, he says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Hey, Nehemiah, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And then I was very sore afraid, says in verse 2. Perhaps it was a rule, you can't be sad in front of the king. He wanted only happy people in there. The king said, you look sad. No, no, <laughs> I'm not sad, me. No, these are tears of joy for no reason at all. I don't know what was going through Nehemiah's head, but he, he tried to change his demeanor, but the king was genuinely sincere, which seems to be against, uh, against what would normally happen. Verse 3, and said unto the king, oh, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth waste 
and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. This is bold for Nehemiah to do. This is not something you would normally say in front of the king. He doesn't have a say in anything. He's a slave. He's a servant. He was a trusted one, but he was still a Hebrew. But he took a leap of faith in verse 4. And then the king said unto me, Behead him. Is that what he said? The king said unto him, For what dost thou make request? What, what do you want? What do you want, Nehemiah? The king of all the land just told me, his cupbearer, what do you want? And he didn't hold back. You can read chapter, verse 5, and I said unto the king, well, if it pleases the king, and if I serve and have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, and I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, uh, well, okay, so for how, how long do you want to be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. And then he keeps going. He tells him, I need a letter to give me permission to do what I need to do. And I'm going to need some things in order to be done. Nehemiah just goes off. And at this point, any normal person, probably the king would have said, okay, whoa, whoa, you're taking advantage of me now. Okay? But the king just listens and gives Nehemiah everything he wants. He has all the equipment. He gets a group of people. They go back and they build the wall around Jerusalem, even with the enemies trying to stop them. They did all of it in 52 days, which is an amazing feat, even of today's status. With the equipment that they had or didn't have, they were able to do something improbable. Man, Ezra, improbable story, God coming to Cyrus... Now, as a Christian, uh, we, we understand God could do anything. And with Nehemiah, it's a pretty interesting story here. One more story. Look at Esther, the next book over. The book of Esther is our third story today. Esther chapter 6. Now, I, I believe we're familiar with the book of Esther, with the story of Esther. And there are numerous improbable stories that take place in the book of Esther. Numerous. But this particular one in, verse six, in chapter 6 is my, my personal favorite one. King Artaxerxes has just appointed Esther as queen. He, has not, he, is, he doesn't, he's not aware that Esther is also a, a Hebrew. She's a Jew. He's not aware of this. Esther has a cousin whose name is Mordecai. And Mordecai uncovers a plot to assassinate the king. This was back in the early chapters. I think it's chapter 3. Mordecai under, un, under, uh, uncovers this, this, uh, this assassination plot to kill the king. So he tells the right people. They go to the king, and guess what? He was right. The king gets these people arrested, and the king is saved. Well... Esther, while Esther's story is truly remarkable and it's beautiful in its own nature, an antagonist starts to brew in the story. And the antagonist's name is Haman or Haman. Haman hates the Jews very much. He wishes their demise. He conjures up this plan to have all the Jews exterminated and all their possessions confiscated. Well, Mordecai finds out about this and he urges Esther to, to do something to tell the king that Haman can't do this. Tell the king who you are. 
And that's a, that's, a, that's a story in itself. So Esther tells Mordecai, pray and fast and give me courage. And Esther, she's starting to prepare her plans for it. But as she's preparing her plan to tell the king, Haman is already making his plan. He not only hates the Jews, but he specifically hates Mordecai, Esther's cousin. Because every time Haman enters into, uh, anytime he walks by people, people are supposed to kneel and bow out of respect. But Mordecai knows who Haman is. And when Haman walks by Mordecai, he doesn't, he doesn't kneel out of respect. He stands, like a, sort of like a silent protest, if you will. He stands, and he's thinking, I'm not going to bow before you. You're trying to murder my entire people. No, I'm not going to stand for this. He, he was standing, but I, he wasn't going to kneel for this as they came by. Haman hated the Jews, but he hated Mordecai the most. So he told himself in the morning, he had these gallows built to hang Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And Haman had this whole plan set up. In the morning, he was going to go before the king and conjure up a plan to get Mordecai killed. That was his plan. So that night, the improbable happens. That night, something happens. In Esther chapter 6, in verse 1, on that night, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Okay, so for some reason, the king couldn't sleep. For some reason, right? And it was found that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king of Ahasuerus. All right, I'm going to speed this up for you. So this is what happens. King can't sleep, so he wakes up one day, and he demands one of his chamberlains to come over and says, hey, remember that plot, that assassination plot that happened a few years ago? Yeah, who, who, who was the one that, that blew the whistle? Who was the one that saved my life on that? Who was that guy? So they went back through their records, and they're like, oh, it's some guy named Mordecai. I don't know. And then the king says, Mordecai, he saved my life? Hey, did we do anything for that guy? Did we, did we like give him a, I don't know, did we, did we do anything? I mean, did, we, should, we should be thankful for what he did. And the, they looked in the record and says, no, we didn't do anything for the guy. The king says, I'm going to do something special for Mordecai. And just as he was finishing his statement, Haman starts walking down the hallway. And he's getting ready to tell the king to kill Mordecai. And he's skipping and jumping. And just as he's about to talk, the king says, oh, one moment, Haman. Let me ask you a question. Uh, look here in verse uh, 6. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, uh, Question, Haman, what shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? So Haman, if I wanted to honor somebody, what should I do? Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to honor more than myself? So Haman thought, ah, he's talking about me. Well, let me tell you what I would do to this man. This man, <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me tell you what I would do. Verse 7, uh, for the man whom the king delighted to honor, verse 8, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon it, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. I could see him daydreaming now. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most notable princes, that there may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honor and bring. And this verse goes on and on. It's a really long verse. He keeps going on and on. And uh, verse 10, the king says, I like it. I like it. 
The king said to Haman, can you do me a favor? Can you, uh, can you go tell Mordecai all those things you just said? I want those done to Mordecai. Like, uh, like the Mordecai that, uh, yeah, Mordecai. You know the guy that you want me to, yeah, I do. A- anything for you, king? Hey, what were you going to say to me earlier? Um, uh, I forgot. I'll, I'll, I'll say it later, okay? And the Bible says that Haman went home and he mourned. He wept like a baby. He was distraught. He was so angry that his enemy, his enemy was getting blessed. This is an improbable story here. Why would the king randomly wake up on that specific night? Not the next night, not the night before, or not even later that day, but that night, the morning of Mordecai's demise. And why would the king wake up and think to himself, who was that guy that helped me? Who... Who would have done that had not God been present, had not God been there to help with this improbable situation? Now, we have these three stories. We've got the story in Ezra. We've got the story in Nehemiah, the story in Esther. And like I said, I know there's some more very, uh, there's some more improbable stories that would take place. You could probably go to the story of David and Goliath, right? The little boy with the sling who shot that sling and it just happened to hit Goliath right in the right spot. He fell forward. You can say that's an improbable story, and it definitely is. How about just Noah's Ark, the flood? (laughs) That whole story is improbable, right? Jonah and the whale. uh, The three Hebrews that got thrown into the fiery furnace and survived. There's There's a lot of improbable stories. But let's look at these three here. In each of these stories, the following happened in each of the three. The first thing that happens is God uses an improbable person. In this improbable situation, on on all three of these, one thing, there are several things that are consistent, and one of them is that God always uses an improbable person to have his improbable situation completed. In Ezra's story, God used a pagan king Cyrus to fulfill his will. In Nehemiah's story, God used another king, a pagan king, Artaxerxes, to fulfill his will, to grant Nehemiah anything he wanted to go back. In Esther's story, well, I guess it's three kings here, God used another king, King Xerxes, also a pagan, somebody who did not, was not a follower, true follower of Jehovah God. God used all three of these improbable people to help in this situation. And I find that interesting because we go through trials, we go through situations, we come up against a mountain sometimes and we think, oh boy, how are we going to get to this one? But if God's will is to be done, he will do whatever it takes, even if it's somebody that doesn't make sense, somebody that's not even in the picture, Somebody that doesn't, the little story I told with VBS and, and the craft, uh, if anybody should have come up to me and said, Pastor Tim, did you put that craft segment in there? It probably should have been the intern that actually sorted through it. That would have made sense. If, if that person would have come up to me and said, hey, uh, I don't remember seeing that, that makes sense because you just watched it. But for somebody who had not seen any of it and I had not made a mistake up to that point, it seemed a little bit improbable Sometimes God uses random people, we call them random, in our lives to help things be accomplished. And my my point is simply this. When God wants something to be done, 
it'll be done. Even if he has to use somebody that doesn't make sense. Somebody random. Somebody, uh, well, I'll come back to this. So the first thing that God does in these stories is he uses an improbable person. But the second thing in all three of these improbable situations is that God helps a faithful servant. In all three of these situations, there was a faithful servant of God that God used through this improbable situation. In Ezra, it was Ezra. In Nehemiah, it was, it was Nehemiah. In Esther, it was, well, you could say it was Esther, but it was Mordecai. Mordecai was really the backbone of that story. It was Mordecai's prayer. It was Mordecai urging Esther to even go before the king in the first place that got Esther to do what she needed to do for such a time as this. It was, it was really Mordecai was the unsung hero of this story. In all three of these situations, we find somebody who's faithful to God. And this is really the core of the improbable situation. Oh, Lord, I'm coming up to this problem. I don't really know what to do. Maybe it's a financial burden that's upon your life. Maybe it's a physical burden. Maybe it's just a situation no one has ever been in, and you're the only one. Maybe it's something that hasn't even happened yet. And you come up to this crossroads, and you're thinking, Lord, ah, I don't really know what's going on. I don't know how this is going to happen. All three of these improbable situations reverted back to a faithful servant of God, somebody who was faithful. God did the improbable around those who are faithful to him. Ezra was a prayer warrior. Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is an incredible one. I have a book called Lessons in Leadership for Men in the Ministry, and it's all from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an organized leader like no other. God used him. Nehemiah was faithful to God. We see the story of Mordecai. No matter what took place, Mordecai always reverted back to God. God got the glory for that entire story. In each of these stories, an improbable person was used. God was using a faithful servant. And lastly, in all three of these improbable situations, God is answering an earnest prayer. He's answering somebody's prayer. And if you don't get anything, get this right here. In Ezra chapter 1, if you could turn there real quick. Back to Ezra chapter 1. In Ezra chapter 1, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. This is important. So if you go now to Jeremiah chapter 29, and Jeremiah, if you go to Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to compare these two verses here. Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah has just told Israel that after 70 years of captivity, God will restore you. But he doesn't stop there. Look in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. Jeremiah now is speaking on behalf of God. This is God speaking now to his people. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. 
Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, and when, when ye shall search for me with all your hearts, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. God says, your 70 year of captivity will end when you get on your knees and you beg me to save you. When you cry out to me and ask me for repentance, when you turn your heart back to me, when there's earnest prayer given, God will answer your improbable situation. And that's exactly what happens. It happens in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. I'll read this for you. And if you're able to turn there, I encourage you to do so. When Nehemiah saw the group of people coming back from captivity, and he was excited, and they said, no, don't be excited. Things are terrible. Things are a mess. Do you know what Nehemiah did? The first thing he did in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down, verse 4, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah did four. He, he mourned. First of all, it says he wept. This is like an outwardly, an, an outward crying. And then he mourned. This is internal. He was, he was hurting on the inside. He brought this before God and fasted. And he prayed before the God of heaven. Earnest prayer was given in this improbable situation. That's why the improbable situation turned probable. And in Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4 is our last verse. What happened when everything seemed to crumble on the children of Israel here in Esther's story? When they didn't know what to do, where to go? Mordecai is instructing Esther through a, through a messenger. He's telling the messenger what to say, and then he'd go up, or she'd go up into, uh, to Queen Esther and, ex and relay the message. And now this messenger is standing before Esther, imploring her to do something. In verse 14, do something for such a time as this. And then verse 15 says, Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. So Mordecai tells Esther, please do something. And Esther tells the messenger, tell Mordecai this. Verse 16, go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. How did this improbable situation come about? I mean, God used improbable people. But it started with a faithful servant who was in earnest prayer unto God. All three of these stories, you see this happen. Where God answered the prayer of this faithful. Do you have an improbable situation in your life? A situation you're not really sure how to get out of? Maybe it's not even improbable. Maybe it just seems difficult. Maybe you're a young person and you're, just, you're not really sure what your future holds for you. And to be fair, most young people don't. 
very few young people know exactly every detail of their future life. It's rare. So you're in a common situation. And it's common to doubt and go, man, what am I going to do? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? I want to try to please my parents. But I want to try to please God. But I also want to try to do something I like. And you're trying to balance all three. And it's almost impossible, really, to please everybody. You can't do it. Lord, what do I do? And then those problems come and go. And then you become an adult. And then all different kinds of problems arise. Whether it's financial, whether it's physical, parents just trying to provide for their kids, trying to get them through schooling, and uh, trying to get them through this pandemic. All kinds of crazy things are going on. There's finances, there's health. You name it, it happens. Just trying to raise children is difficult. It seems impossible sometimes. When influences all around the world are pushing them to go one way and you're wanting them to go another, and and you want them to, to serve God with your life. All these situations come and go in our life. And once the kids come and go and they're out of the house, then there's more situations and more problems that arise in our life. And we constantly find ourselves in these situations that we really don't know how to get out of. And if you don't have those situations in your life, then let me know how you did it. (laughs) Because we all go through them. Remember, when these improbable situations arise, that God will... Look at your life. You see someone faithful to him. And if it's a really, truly earnest situation, he'll see your earnest prayer. And God will do whatever it takes to get you through it. Even if it's using improbable people that don't even make sense, that don't even, aren't even connected to your story. Last year, we, uh, my family and I, we... We're, right now, we're in the process of trying to get our permanent residency. And uh, how many of you have gone through that before, right? Lots of hands going around. You've tried to get your citizenship, your, your permanent residency. It, it's, not a, it's not a fun uh, process. Well, last year, right when this pandemic took off, right in the March area is when our, our temporary visas were expiring. And uh, this happens to us every two years. So uh, we're doing our paperwork, and we get it all together, and we, we file it all in, and we send it off. But we send it off right when, right like just a week or two before the pandemic, before everything shut down. And as soon as everything shut down, immigration shut down. And all that processing, all the paperwork, and I'm sure I'm one of millions of people to, to, to go through this. Millions and millions, no doubt, all around the world. And we were just one of millions. Well... Yeah, you kind of dig into what happened. All this, all this paperwork that just kept getting sent in, a lot of it just, just got piled up and just got piled up. And so we were, for a lot of last year, we were what you would call implied status. We didn't really have an actual status because uh, our paperwork had expired, but we did send it in. So we still had a status, but we just couldn't leave the country, which didn't matter because nobody could leave the country anyway. So we were here. And uh, but with implied status, usually benefits and stuff, you you lose those. So any kind of financial assistance or aids, they're gone. Now, fortunately, our children are Canadian, so medical and all of them, they were fine. We were safe, so there's no worries there. But there was a good four or five month period where we were financially looking at our at the paperwork, going, hmm, <laughs> this is this should be fun. This should be interesting. Um, financial aid is 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 helpful and. On paper, we needed this financial aid in order to stay and live and you know, do the things we normally would. Uh, it, it, it was helpful. So on paper, we were going, okay, you know, if, if, if it's a month or two, we have savings. God's been good to us. We'll be fine. We're fine. 
But if it's any longer than that, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to really start praying unto the Lord. But we knew God was going to provide for us. We, we knew, we knew he, he has all the time. Her parents were missionaries, and uh, my parents were missionaries, and uh, we've been through much worse as a family. God, ne- everything has always been perfect. So we just, we just kept going as normal. That month, we kept saving like we normally would. Our, our budget stayed the same. Everything turned out well, and rent was paid. Everything was fine. Month one was done. Month two came around. Uh, we, everything was fine. Rent was paid. All our expenses paid. We still got to go out to eat like we normally would. Everything was fine. We were still saving too. Month three came around. Everything was fine. We were paying rent. Uh, we were still saving every month like we normally would. And uh, everything was going. Everything was fine. Month four comes around. Month five comes around. We're thinking, is there, do we even need this money? <laughs> like, we... After about five months and uh, still waiting for our paperwork to come in, we began to realize, why were we even worried? The financial aid we thought we needed, for five months we didn't have, and we were still saving every month. We were still giving. We were still doing everything we normally would. We were still able to go out to eat and have fun and, and just live, you know, live a, a fun, normal life like we normally would without all that financial aid we thought we needed. And then guess what? Month five or six comes in, our paperwork comes in. So we reapply, and government back pays everything. Everything. All five, six months. It's not an astronomical amount, but it's money we didn't have. And we're thinking, this is how God works. God wanted us to save money by taking away money. I mean, that makes sense, right? It's like, oh, you need to save more money. And by the way, we're right in the middle of our PR process, and that's an expensive process. But guess what? almost the exact amount of money that we, we, we saved last year. That money that we needed for our, our permanent residency, God gave to us by taking money away from us, <laughs> which doesn't make sense. Oh, you want to save money? How about you, uh, how about you give more of it away? And then and it'll make sense in the end. No, that doesn't, you know, you stand before a guy who's trying to help you budget your... I have an idea, sir. Your, your budgeting plan is fantastic, but what I think we should do is throw away hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month and then just hope for the best in the end. What do you think? Um, no, okay? I'm the advisor. <laughs> You're the idiot. You listen to me, okay? But that's exactly what God did. It doesn't make any sense. He used improbable situation to teach us, to train us, to show us that you don't need anything. You know what you need? You just need me, and I'll take care of you. And that's just one story of many. And I know many of you have stories similar unto the, of the same. What's the application here? When improbable situations arise in your life, stay faithful to God. Don't stop praying. And watch God use improbable people, improbable places, improbable government systems to provide for you. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, for these improbable stories. And Lord, as I said, there's dozens, there's hundreds more in God's word, and there's hundreds, thousands, and millions more stories like that all throughout history, and even here in this room. Lord, right now our life may be going okay, but maybe an improbable situation is just around the corner. And I know that's not a very encouraging thought, I suppose. But if we stay faithful to you, 
We keep praying. We keep our faith in you. The improbable becomes very probable. It doesn't make sense on paper. It doesn't always make sense how it took place. But it doesn't really matter that it doesn't make sense. As long as that situation, we, we can overcome it. That's what matters. Lord, I'm just, I just wanted to say thank you for always providing for us. Thank you for providing for our church. Lord, through this pandemic, uh, a lot of people have gone through a lot of things. Even here, it connected to this church. But Lord, our, our church is still here. Our people are still here. We're still supporting missionaries. We're still talking about trying to get a, a bigger building. Lord, it, that, all these things are improbable. They, they don't make any sense. But no matter what improbable situation comes, help us just to keep being faithful to you and watch you provide for us. Because God, you are a great God. You are so good to us. Thank you so much for loving us and for caring for us and for being all that we can be. Lord, please just continue to bless our church, bless our people. Thank you so much for this day. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.